Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Joining me today are five incredible individuals, Blair O'Donovan, Derek Melander, Anthony Anarino, Derek Nelson, and John Gardner. All five of these individuals have a history as either a strength coach or a physical therapist at the NBA level. These five individuals are incredibly knowledgeable and have combined decades of experience working with basketball players. I think the world of all of them, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to sit down with all of them at the same time and learn from them today. I know you're going to love this episode, especially if you're someone who works with basketball players or you're a basketball player yourself. Enjoy. Anthony, Blair, Derek, Derek, John, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with all of you today. I will admit, though, this is the most people I've ever had on a podcast episode at the same time. So this is going to be a real good one today. Thank you all for your time. Yeah, thanks for having us. For people who might not be familiar with all of you, would you mind just kind of giving us a quick little intro to who you are and what the heck you guys do? I mean, to me, you guys are a very household name, but... There might be someone out there who hasn't heard of a name like John Gardner before. So, uh, Derek, would you start and just kind of give us a little rundown on who you are? For sure. Um, yeah, my name is Derek Nielsen. I'm a physical therapist with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, previously, I served the Phoenix Mercury and the Phoenix Suns in a in a hybrid role where I served as a physical therapist and a strength coach. So I kind of worked across the continuum, but uh, currently I'm in a full physical therapist role with the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Gardner. I'm a performance therapist over with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, last year was my first year in the league, so going into year two. Sure, yeah, I'm a physical therapist uh, with the Washington Wizards uh, and currently as well uh, present and help develop content for R2P Academy, which is a, a Con Ed company uh, where we're teaching courses online and uh, across the country. Um, but prior to that, I was directing a clinic over at Rehab to Reform. Uh, also, I've served as a strength coach in the past, so like Derek, kind of uh, served that whole continuum. Yeah, I'm Blair O'Donovan. I'm the founder and co-owner of Healthy Baller. Uh, we have three locations around the DMV, uh, Rockville, Alexandria, Virginia, and, and Fairfax, Virginia. Um, been a performance coach for for 20 plus years. I've, I've been really lucky to have experience in, in three different sectors with the NFL, uh, with the Baltimore Ravens, the Capitals, with the NHL, and then most recently, um, head strength coach of the Wizards uh, from 18, 19, and 19, 20 seasons and now just working primarily healthy baller again yeah that's incredible and i love what i hear about you guys over there at healthy baller and i love the name by the way too kind of fits with that whole basketball theme yeah first of all i gotta just say blair is is great to see you man that that beard looks great and that chair you're sitting in <laughs> you know yeah. send me the link i want i want a chair like that i got you good to see you Derek. <laughs> Yeah, great to see you, brother. Um, yeah, Derek Millender, uh, just finished my 13th season here with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, uh, Ten years as head strength conditioning coach. Before that, I spent uh, a few years at a local university here, Cleveland State University, uh, running their strength conditioning program for the 17 sports. And then before that, I did a couple of years in the minor leagues in, in Major League Baseball for the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, you guys have – combined decades of experience and you are all some of the most knowledgeable and most humble individuals I've ever met, especially when it comes to a sport like basketball. And with all five of you here today, I really want to dive into basketball in detail 
because I feel like there's a lot that some of us as providers, myself included, don't know about the sport. And I feel like we could do a lot better when we work with basketball athletes, whether that's in a strength and conditioning element or in a physical therapy and rehabilitation environment. And it comes from conversations like this where we can all improve and get better and also teach the next generation of basketball players what their rehab experience or what their strength and conditioning experience should look like. Uh, so first, for the five of you there, you're no stranger to managing the schedule and the demands of the NBA, the 80-game season, 82-game season that spans most of the year, the travel, all of that sort of thing. How do you guys go about balancing the demands of strength and conditioning and physical therapy and rehab throughout the season, throughout the travel and all that, when you've got a whole team of individuals and so many different factors to consider? Um, you know, Blair, do you have anything that you want to throw out there to start us off? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a few years removed, but I mean, uh, even if I was back in now, it'd probably re remain pretty similar. And I'm sure a lot of these guys are doing similar stuff of, you know, trying to condense the stress. That's been the, the, the topic of discussion the last several years of keeping the high days high, the low days low. So post-game lifting is obviously a pretty good opportunity if you can get the team to buy in, the, the coaches to buy in. Um, my first year, I really pushed on that, and it, it was a little bit slow moving at first. But I, I think that's one of the first big rocks, you know, I'd really hit. And obviously, you're going to have a, a – uh, a pretty wide rotation of guys in terms of how much, how many minutes guys are getting and what their, their role is and, and their developmental process. And so, you know, I, I think it's just critical. You get to know everybody, you get to know the coaches goals for the players and sort of mesh up with what the weekly schedule allows looking ahead a week or two, looking at the, tra the travel schedule and seeing, picking the spots where you can provide some stimulus, you know, whether that be a, uh, a shortened session, the lengthened session, pre or post practice, you really gotta dig deep and pick your spots. Um, but post game, post game lift is really where I tried to, you know, push guys, uh, you know, as we progressed along in the time that I was there. Yeah, you know, I, you know, to Blair's, you know, point again, I think um, it's it's fun when you know you get it's fun when you win and you had the post game lifts. You know, it's it's really uh. <laughs> And that obviously impacts the effort, you know, in, in the uh, in, in the focus when you add that. Um, and I would just add to also just continue to make it as individualized as you can for the player. So and I, I'll give an example of a player that, you know, you know, we have and he's, you know, a young guy still developing. And, you know, I really tried to sell him on the benefits of the postgame lifts. And, you know, he fought it. He fought it. So I said, OK, well, let's. Um, I'm going to just kind of bring in some of the vets and have them, you know, talk to you about it as well, too. They talk to him. You know, he still was just like, I, you know, I'm not really sold on it yet. So he finally, you know, came in for a post-game lift. And everybody was like, yo, you know, you know, have, you know, dapping him up. And we turned the music up a little bit louder. We played a song for him that he likes. We really got the environment going. And then the next day, I was like, all right, so, you know, what'd you think? You know, he's like, I don't really like I'm like, oh, my God, what do you mean? You know, so, but he came around, you know, this year and he was like, you know, I want to get my lift in after I shoot on the court, you know, so we're always get to the arena really early on game days and he's a young guy. So he has to be on that. We call it, you know, the early bus, which is before, you know, some of the guys are playing in big minutes play. And his whole thing was, I want to come in. I want to do my court work. And immediately after my court session, I want to get my lift in right then. 
And that became his routine, you know, this year. We started that, and, you know, it took us some time to get there, but he started that in December, and he kept that through the whole year. And, I mean, literally a complete 180. He went from a guy that, you know, the thought of lifting on a game day, you know, I mean, he gave me a look like, like, I can't believe you had the audacity to ask me something like that. He went from that to, like, it was a part of his pregame routine where he wanted to feel that muscle tension going into the game. He wanted to – he wanted to get that little bit of sweat. He wanted to get that little bit of pump, you know, going into the game, and it, and it works for him. So, again, I'm just adding to that. We'll just say continue to to meet guys where they're at, you know, and not everybody's going to fit, you know, in the same program. So just keep an open mind with that. Yeah, I'll say, reflecting what what Derek said so eloquently, it's, it's N equals one in this setting. So I think understanding, you know, we have a similar archetype of, of player, you know, with being elite basketball players, but the demands and the needs and the way that these individuals are going to adapt to the stress is going to be different. So like I said, meeting where they're at, understanding the long-term lens of the individual to be able to intervene where it's going to be most useful and and also meeting their understanding and what what they want uh, to be able to provide the best product. So, and then as far as as where I'm serving, um, it it depends on kind of, you know, I'm more on the medical side for our staff uh, but certainly in a, in a long-term rehab, we may be stepping more into that strength side and be able to serve that t- side of the continuum. So um, with our staff, we're, we're consistently integrating. We're consistently trying to make our, our processes cohesive. So I think even if things are more medical, understanding the strength side and the, and the strength side, understanding the medical side just helps us to to deliver the best product across that continuum for the for the individuals. Well, I'll, I'll add, um, obviously, the, the N equals one uh, principle definitely applies, but I'll add that to work uh, reverse engineer from the sport, if you will. And I think it's important. These guys got things pulling them in all different directions. So anytime you can replace what we have from a stimulus uh, standpoint plan for an athlete by demands that they can get within an individual session with their player development coach, that's a, that's a very easy thing to do throughout the year. And it helps um, keep the main thing, the main thing and keeps them uh, engaged along the way rather than it just being completely in a controlled either rehab or S and C environment uh, gives them opportunity to, uh, you know, work within the game itself. And then it also strengthens that collaboration with the coaching staff from medical or from performance. Yeah. You know, I'll just piggyback on what, what all these guys are saying, right. It's, it's always keeping the main, thing, the main thing, right. The sports, the, the end goal, right. It's not, a perfect TKE or X score on their HUMAC norm test or, or whatever the case may be, right? Like these guys are going to be on the floor and, and it's our jobs to to kind of put them in position to do that. And it's a collaboration between us, between strength and conditioning staff, sports science, the coaching staff is, is a huge piece because again, if you can if you can increase volume with that and still get the tissue adaptation and stuff that you're looking for, the players doing what they probably prefer to be doing while getting those adaptations. So again, I think it's it's making it individualized while keeping the main thing, main thing. Yeah, for sure. You've all mentioned a lot of importance on the collaboration role between your entire team, whether that be PTs, ATs, strength coaches, sports science guys. How do you guys kind of collaborate on that from, you know, your different systems there? Is there like a weekly meeting or what have you guys kind of seen working effectively for that collaboration piece? Yes, I mean, I'll start. I know we do in season, we do daily calls. Um, whether it's a, a Zoom or an in-person sort of thing, daily meetings to kind of discuss where every player is at on the on the roster, including our, our two-way guys down in the with the swarm. Um, so again, like we're constantly 
everybody on the staff has an idea of who's doing what, who's doing where guys are at in the rehab continuum or just their general, you know, performance care type of stuff. So for us, it, it's daily in season. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. Obviously, the meetings are, are frequent in nature and they're really, really important. Um, but it, also along the way, like NBA staff typically are pretty large. So that collaborative piece becomes even more challenging. So if you don't have systems in place, that becomes really, really uh, difficult to provide the products we, we really want to provide. But um, I've worked in some smaller staffs with, within the WNBA and, and that made that piece really, really easy when there's less people involved. So I, I think it's something to, no matter the level that you are working at, uh, the collaboration doesn't necessarily change. It's just the number of people uh, will. Yeah, to, to add that, uh, I think there's, it's like Derek said, it's so important to have these communication systems because, you know, in the middle of an 82 game season, you're, you're hungry, you're tired, everything's going on. And we, we have to default to the level of, you know, what is that structure of that daily meeting? What is our reporting? How do we communicate in these things? Because that's, that's how things get missed if we're not organized in that manner. But I will say a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of value from the unstructured things. We spent a lot of time together. So a lot of time just kind of sitting in the visiting team waiting room, chatting uh, before games or um, sitting in the locker room during a game, just kind of bantering and, you know, talking through things where a lot of good ideas come or a lot of um, this, I guess, those understanding pieces of, understanding the other person's philosophy, understanding where they're coming from, trying to, to gain a better understanding of your, of your teammate um, to better collaborate. So I think the structured and unstructured are both very important elements. Gotcha. Yeah. Blair, how do you go about taking all of that and then applying it into the private sector? How do you guys go about collaborating with high school or college basketball coaches, strength coaches, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll speak more specifically to like, um, we have a therapy department within our 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 business it's a, two, a separate business but peripherally we, we we operate as if we're one you know big family and stuff so it's critical that we're we're selling our services like the return to play process that our, our therapy team has taken is is a smooth transition to the performance side and, and it is but it, it like these guys are saying it requires a, a, a strong communication line a, a regular discussion of what's going on a, an outline a template somewhat to stick to just a, just a plan of action in general. So um, we, we stay in tight contact with our therapists at each of the locations and, and make sure that, you know, we understand, you know, what's, what's acceptable, appropriate, um, you know, next steps for the kid coming off of whatever specific injury they have. So it's, it's no different than these guys are doing. We have to, we have to be in constant communication yeah. um, in the private sector there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And as, we've mentioned throughout this is having everyone on the same page because there's so many different individuals and so many different factors involved in the success of the athlete here. Having everyone discussing and collaborating is ultimately going to lead to the best outcome for them. And ultimately, as you all mentioned earlier, the outcome in mind is return to basketball, not a really good outcome measure score, not like a really cool like return to sport test. It's to get them back on the court. So with that in mind, how do you all collaborate and work together to get an athlete back to the court if they've been out for a while? How do the PTs collaborate with the strength coaches and so on in your organizations? Yeah, I'll start here. So like, like you said, it really comes down to reverse engineering the terminal task of basketball. So, um, and you mentioned kind of return to play measures, things of that nature. So I, I think it's important for us to have some of these, you know, key performance indicators in place to kind of be proxies for the sport. 
because again, it's sometimes in the dynamic nature of basketball, it's, it's hard to measure certain qualities. It's hard to measure um, what someone's going to be able to do. And at times it's not necessarily you know, safe to put them in that environment to see if it's going to be suitable. So um, these different measures, whether it be force plate metrics or range of motion metrics or stability metrics, these things are all kind of proxies to let us know what constraints there are in the system and kind of the status of where they are on that journey from, you know, table back to court. Um, so these are, I guess, checkpoints along our process that allow us to kind of know how someone's progressing. And it's also guides to let us know how, you know, whether it be a stimulus, the, the medical providers applying or the stimulus that the strength condition coach is applying, if that's moving the needle in the direction we need to be going. And those can kind of be our, our center points to, to say, you know, does something need to be calibrated? Do we need to be increasing stress, decreasing stress, changing a stimulus in a certain way? way. So um, as a staff, we can kind of rally around these certain metrics and rally around these certain, you know, objective and subjective, qualitative and quantitative metrics that um, we can agree upon and allow us to to know, uh, kind of be our North Star, are we heading in the right direction towards the terminal task of basketball? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll piggyback on, I mean, that's very, it's much more eloquently than I could put it. But um, again, I, I think go, even going back to like the communication piece, that Anthony talked about earlier, like make sure that you have a system in place. Again, everybody's going to have different values and stuff that they're looking for, but but just making sure that you have that system in place and then it's communicated pretty well across, you know, the performance staff, but also with with the player and making sure that they've got, you know, a seat at the table as, as you're discussing this kind of stuff and not leaving them out in the cold. Because at the end of the day, I mean, they, they may not have the same medical knowledge and book knowledge that we've got for, you know, anatomy strength conditioning principles and all that sort of stuff but they have a really good feel for their body right it's probably, it's probably why they're at where they are so again it's, it's making sure that you're taking into account like their their experience with the rehab process and the return to play process and and again a lot of that stuff can be going off feel for them again like you, you may run into some malingering every now and then uh, but that's just kind of the, the nature of the sport these days but i mean for the most part these these guys know when they're ready whether that force plates 100 percent normal or not um based on given effort and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I think it's just, it's all those nice things that Anthony said and just making sure the, the players kind of got a, a seat at the table and got some input on what's going on. I think, like, if you just back up a little bit, everything's really operating on this continuum from acute injury to return to the, the key task, which is basketball. And as long as we have kind of roles and responsibilities along the way, you know, we have our acute injury managers, whether that's, physicians, ATCs, RPTs, um, sometimes massage therapists. We have dietitians that get involved really early. And that transitions across this continuum where maybe they get to a point where they return to training and it's heavy collaboration between whoever your key rehab professional is and your performance staff. And then that later phase um, where they're getting to the coaching staff and the developmental uh, coaches within your group. And I think it's really important to have like these key roles and responsibilities defined and delineated across across this continuum and making sure that everybody on that continuum is operating in a, in a selfless manner. Um, whether it's any sport or whether it's any level, I think I think we really all operate across that continuum. You know, doubling down with, you know, Anthony and, and Jonathan talked here. I think the big thing is, you know, you need to have, you know, your line test done you know, whatever that baseline testing is for you. And when you do have these injuries or you do have, um, you know, some questions about where your guys are at, you know, being clean and, um, you know, to, to have those objective measures to know exactly, you know, where your guys are at. Um, 
and you need to have some sort of probably athlete management system. Again, when you have so many different professionals working, um, you know, in the same space, trying to figure out exactly who's doing what and at, at what time and, and, and what they're doing, you know, where's all that information housed? And also at least, even though you may not directly be working with that player daily, at least you have access to that information. So, you know, you know, what's going on. Um, but it's not always as, as simple as hey, like objectively it shows this, that means it's this. There's a lot of subjectivity to it. Um, Anthony talked about it. I mean, again, the, the players' comfort level in all of this is so important and cannot be overlooked. You know, again, as we start to feel like, you know, we we know what's going on and we know exactly, you know, like what's happening and we have a timeline and when that player is coming back. But if they're not mentally ready, um, then they're not ready. It, it doesn't matter what the numbers say. So just making sure that that's obviously factored into, even though a guy, you know, may he may say that he's ready to you, but you can feel from his body language or some of the questions that he's, you know, asking, there is some, you know, hesitance, you know, there. And maybe we push this thing back a couple more days, you know, let's get a couple more practices, you know, let make sure that maybe they're like pulling on our, pulling on us now, say, hey, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. Okay, well now, Okay, he's ready instead of us feeling like maybe we rushed it because the numbers said or because, you know, we set a goal for his return. We wanted to hit it. That's a huge point, I think, Derek, is putting the athlete first and making sure that their needs and desires are heard and met and ultimately listening to them. Um, Because I think that at least speaking from my own experience here as a clinician, I feel like we often get caught up with we want what's best for the athlete and sometimes we think we know better than they do. And ultimately we can't feel and we can't experience what they're experiencing at that moment. And that's something I think even Blair had mentioned when I did a podcast with him previously this year in the strength and conditioning side is, you know, if an athlete comes in and says, Hey, I don't like back squat. I'm not going to back squat. Then we're probably not going to make them back squat. If that's not what they feel comfortable doing is ultimately adjusting and individualizing to the needs of the athlete and the demands of the athlete. Now, I know all five of you have had experience outside of the world of professional sports. Has there been anything that surprised you when you got into the professional basketball world? Anything that caught you off guard compared to maybe where you were previously in the private sector or where you are currently in the private sector? So I think one of the things that caught me off guard was, um, you know, I came from a, a physical therapist clinic where about 90% of my duties were were patient care to you hop into this role in pro basketball. And all of a sudden I'm I'm carrying bags and I'm I'm folding towels and I'm doing all these tasks that I'm like, I didn't I didn't go to school to do these things, but you know, you you learn really quickly that uh you're the cutout to do those type of things and you're you're kind of down down for the cause when it comes to helping the people around you and delivering a high level product to, to the athletes that we're caring for. Um, so I think that was the biggest adjustment for me was learning that, you know, maybe I came from a place where I was primarily patient care to now we only have, you know, 12, 16, 16 athletes in the NBA, 17 athletes, you know, and you're splitting that amongst providers. Uh, you, so you really only have a handful of, of players that you're really taking care of. So you can provide a really, really high level service, but it's all those other duties that come with, come with the job that I think we're in a little bit of an adjustment for me. Man, 82 games is a lot. Um, I mean, that was that's probably the biggest thing that stuck out to me in year one. Uh, again, you hit that all-star break and 
depending on where you're at in the standings and stuff like that, you're ready to see the finish line a little bit, and, and you can feel it from from the player side as well, just in terms of like how much stress that travel and just the time is. Um, other than that, like Derek said, I, I think you you come into it thinking you're going to do a bunch of patient care and stuff. Like that. It's, it's all the little things and making sure that your performance team is operating as, as best it can and for that day. I, it may be me wiping sweat off the board during, during pickup games and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think it's again, just piggybacking on what Derek said. It's being able to fill different roles to make sure things operate smoothly. I'll reflect on what John's saying. The 80, 82 is a ton plus the travel. So I think for me, it's, it's really hard to understand the demands on these athletes' bodies until you're kind of, you know, seeing it every day, having hands on the individuals talking to them every day, and then you're feeling the effects of the travel yourself. And it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not out there playing, you know, 30 minutes a night and I know how I feel. I don't know how they're stepping on, stepping on the court some of those nights. So a lot of respect there and a, a lot of respect for the work that goes into to keeping these guys on the, on the court night in and night out. Um, outside of that, I would say, I, I think communication is vital for, you know, strength condition coaches, healthcare providers, but the dynamic nature of this world and the pressure and expectations, it makes it so much more important just to, uh, to stay on top of communication, be very clear, transparent, and to constantly be uh, having clear conversations with with all stakeholders involved in these things uh, to make sure that we're making best decisions, make sure we're uh, make, meeting clear expectations and and uh, doing the best by everybody involved. So I think this job has, has forced me to be a, a, a much better communicator and a, a much better leader in that sense, because um if we're going to be, you know, doing best for all parties in a dynamic setting, it, it's got to be, it's got to be something that's clearly understood and uh, discussed in, in, in live time. Yeah, definitely. Again, just echoing the pace of the travel, you know, again, it's, it's, it's monster, you know, for these guys. And again, you may land, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning um, and then you have a game that following, you know, day, you know, and just being able to, again, we're all kind of dialed into our body now and we're probably you know tracking our sleep or heart rates and just seeing how you know I'm impacted by it again and just knowing okay now this guy has to go out and play and like what can I do to help him you know what can we do um to to give them best opportunity to succeed so again I don't think until you go through it yourself I don't think you really understand you know what that's like um being able to do that and then you know I would say you know secondly being able to evolve year after year after year you know with these guys you know as you know we get older and they get younger you know just being able to find a way you know to you know connect with them you know and be able to um to sympathize with them you know where they're at in, in their careers um and then i would say thirdly you know it's the business of basketball because sometimes you know like wow i don't understand why this person isn't playing, you know, they're doing all the things that, you know, is being asked of them, you know, they're healthy. Um, but because of certain things that are out of their control, you know, they're not playing. And then for us, when they're not playing, you know, more of their time is spent with the strength coaches, you know, so we're responsible for their development. And sometimes, you know, I don't have answers as to why they're not playing, you know, but all I know is we got to continue to work. So when your number is called, you know, you're ready to go. And that helps, you know, we both look bad, you know, if you're not, um, so those are some of the things that, you know, again, didn't didn't really factor in, didn't know until I got into it. Yeah, I couldn't believe how much food there was available. <laughs> it was unreal, unreal. You go there, you get breakfast in the morning, then you got snacks and shakes available, and then you get on a flight, you got snacks before the flight, and you got food in the flight, and snacks in the way. I mean, unreal level of food 
availability. And then, you know, that, that starts to make you wonder like, what are these guys, these guys are obviously consuming a lot. They need to, but uh, checking body fats was really important, but no, that was kind of just a funny side note there. Um, outside of that, I really thought, you know, I, I worked in college briefly too, like very, very briefly. And um, I was like, well, we're just an NBA. We're just all basketball. There's no academics. So we have all the time in the world. And I found out that was not the case in any way, shape or form. So I actually found that I, my time tended to be much more limited more often than I cared for. And the example of uh, we would create a morning schedule for treatment therapy, skill coaches, weight room. Everybody had their schedule, what time they're showing up to where. And many, many times I'd have an assistant coach pull a young guy or two out from my weight session where I was allotted 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it was. And all of a sudden I got 10 minutes, you know, and, and, and I can't fight that. It's not my place to fight it. And I didn't want to fight that because I want the dynamic to be healthy with everybody. But on the peripheral, you think, man, you got 24 hours, you're traveling, just do basketball. You think you have all the time in the world. You really don't. And it really makes you look ahead and plan. You got to plan, be smart, be efficient with what you're doing. Uh, you know, be, be specific and intentional what you're doing there. Um, so those are the couple, couple of things that stuck out for me there. Yeah, Derek uh, Melander, I know you had experience in the college sector as well before. Did you see similar things on the college side? Yeah, um, you know, my experience in college was 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 different. I was at a mid-major school, and they really needed the strength and conditioning coach, you know, to have a strong presence and to be a leader because we had, at that time, you know, there wasn't a cap on hours as to how much time you could work with them in, in the summer. So our goal during that time was to make sure all of our players were there for at least one. We preferred twice of the off season, you know, for summer school. So, I mean, again, the coaches love to walk by and hearing the music blaring to hear, you know, weights dropping guys yelling, you know, so that, that was great. And then in season, you know, naturally we got to scale back and make sure they're ready to go. Um, so that part was great in college, you know, in the, in the NBA, Again, and Blair, you know, talked about this again, you're you have to work as a team, even though we have a goal and we know, you know, what what our part of that is and what we want to do. We still have to factor in, you know, what the player development coach on the basketball court wants to do. Also, we have our sports psychologist and then he's he or she, you know, they're looking to spend you know time with him as well, too. We have our our our, our, our marketing department or um, community relations department. You know, they're trying to plan out, okay, when, when are you going to go to this place and when are you going to do and go and do this? So these guys have so much going on and we all feel like, well, my area is important. Well, so was my area. My area is important too. So um, you have to be willing to, you know, a, a lot of times just say, okay, like I thought I had 20 minutes planned and now I don't, you know, and then now I got to, I have 10 minutes now, you know, like, so now I got to figure out what that 10 minutes look like and, I thought it was going to be a squat day. Well, no, no, it's not. You don't have time for that. You have to work on building your own personal relationship with your players and helping them understand, you know, your role and their development and what that looks like. But also, you know, we have to be realistic to know that we're doing this as a group collectively. And it's not just us that have to work with them in their area of development. There's so many other areas that they're trying to develop in as well, too. But for years, all I saw was as a strength coach is just my area of development. But it's not just about our area of development. It's also the basketball, the community side of it as well, too. Yeah, completely. I uh, completely agree there, Derek. It's 
something bigger, something the basketball community. It's about having a larger impact there. And I've noticed a lot of trends in other sports lately on the youth side. Um, we've talked about it at length recently on the podcast with baseball and different things like pitch counts and that sort of thing. Um, from your angles as professional uh, PT, strength coaches, that sort of thing. I mean, you've kind of hit the pinnacle here. You're at the NBA level. There's not really anyone above you guys. What kind of things have you seen trend-wise amongst youth or high school basketball players? Anything that's concerned you or anything that you really like that they're doing or anything that you just don't like that you're seeing as like a trend or common theme now in the next generation? Yeah, sure. I think the big thing is, you know, looking at the idea of early sports specialization as, you know, being something that's rampant and, you know, the rise of, you know, AAU and club sports being something that's taking up so much time and, and athletes, you know, choosing to, to specialize early on uh, can be something that's, you know, an issue from a skill development standpoint and then just from a physical resilience standpoint. So I, I definitely think that, you know, trying to play multiple sports as long as possible and then even within individual sports prioritizing process of our outcome in a sense that, you know, if we're, if we're looking, you know, worried about the, the results of that eight year old basketball game versus the process of how they're doing it, you know, am I learning different positions? Am I, you know, are we just dumping the ball to the the tallest kid down in the paint rather than, you know, having them learn guard skills, et cetera, even though it may, you know, impede your outcome at that time. So I think having a long-term lens and a long-term vision for these, for these kids coming up um, rather than focusing on, on outcomes at that time is, is, is vital. And we kind of hear that from some of our players, you see some of the guys who might've been later bloomers. So they got, you know, some of the bigs who get exposed to guard skills. So, cause they had the blessing of maybe growing late or you see, you know, some of the different development models uh, overseas compared to how things are done in America can can lead to different uh, development models and systems and skill sets and players. So I think it's important things to, to look at from a, a long-term development lens. The biggest thing I at least saw private practice-wise is, is, again, like these kids are playing nonstop because that's the, the thought process that's kind of getting ingrained into their heads at a young age. It's like if you're not on the court working on your game or – playing in tournaments or at showcases or whatever the case could be, you're falling behind the next guy. And Lord knows the the COVID stuff in terms of like changing transfer rules and eligibility stuff. I know that, that threw a lot of kids going into like the college realm off for, and I think it's still having an impact there. So again, there, there's a huge sense of urgency. So I think it's on us to, to try to try to slow down that pace a little bit. Um, I'll add just a little bit of a story. So previously when I worked in the in a clinic setting, saw a ton of baseball kids and I had the hardest time convincing them not to pick up a baseball for one to two months a year. And kind of the story that would resonate with these youth athletes was that, you know, some hot, we, looked, we worked really, really closely with the head physician for the Houston Astros. And he would tell stories about how, you know, their big name pitchers would not touch a baseball for six to eight weeks following their late postseason runs and you know you'd have to essentially convince both parents and convince the kid three to four times before they'd even you know consider not picking up a baseball for one to two months in a calendar year but uh, I, I think with the with the youth it, it becomes a hard a hard challenge because you have to educate you know multiple stakeholders so kind of back to like a little bit of a collaborative piece where you're collaborating with parents and and maybe physicians and 
and whoever this athlete is working with from a from a skill or sport development standpoint as well. Um, but yeah, certainly something that you know is impacting you know the world of basketball as well, like Anthony and uh, John alluded to. I'm really impressed with um, you know what Blair has created. You know with healthy baller. Again, I um, you know when him and I first connected, you know a few years ago, um, you know post NBA for him. You know, I got it. I was like really curious to know like what he was doing and how, you know, he was like uh, outside NBA. And I, I'm just so impressed with, you know, what parents are are investing in, you know, for their, you know, for their kids. So I'm just excited for, you know, the future of these athletes that are investing, you know, in movement, um, you know, investing in learning about, you know, what's happening um, you know, overcompensation patterns and how that could potentially, you know, derail or, or put you in a, a tough situation. So again, I, for me, it's just now you have high level professionals, strength, you know, NBA strength coaches that are in the private sector, you know, exposing our youth, you know, to the same tech, you know, that we have at the NBA level. So imagine again, what can happen with this kid that starts at a young age, just getting that type of tutelage and guidance you know, what kind of athlete he can he or she can become. You know, you mentioned one thing there, Derek, about how the facility Blair created with Healthy Baller is bringing the tech and knowledge from the NBA to the next level and next generation. Blair, when you guys opened up, what kind of things were high priority on your list? What kind of things did you say, you know what, we had this in the NBA, I need the high school athletes to have access to this, or I need the middle school athletes to have access to this? What kind of things did you prioritize? I got really lucky, man, because my, my, my main therapist, uh, Dr. Teddy Wilsey, he, uh, he's a monster on social media. So he got a lot of deals and discounts on tech and equipment. So when I got back, we, we had a set of Hawk and dynamics force plates. And so, um, going into the NBA, I had zero tech experience. So that scared the crap out of me, but in private, you know, we're not going to buy this stuff. It's so expensive. It's not accessible, really. Um, certainly more now than it used to be, right? So I, I definitely jumped on the bandwagon and was and was studying, researching, learning with uh, Steve Smith, my director, uh, through the VOLD system. Um, but that allowed me to like, you know, start the process and have a little bit more of a smooth transition after I was out of the NBA. So. I really wanted to take that and run with it. And I have ever since that point, like teaching my staff, uh, simple, simple things to look for. Uh, when I first started learning force play technology, I was like lost. I was just completely lost. I mean, there's metrics for days. Like you can just, you know, you can just go forever. Right. So, uh, fortunately for me, Hawkins and the folks there, Drake, where they were super helpful for me and they just helped me fine tune and like, Hey, let's use these metrics to like tell a story. Because I'm, I'm in the service business. We're all in some form of the service business, whether you're an MBA or private, but I only have an hour, you know, so I can't sit there for 10, 15 minutes and analyze and think. And then I got to make quick decisions. And so uh, the, the, the force plays for me have been a game changer for our program and our company. Uh, certainly getting a lot of play and therapy, uh, you know, with some of the testing and protocols they're using. But I told my staff, too, I'm using it as an accountability tool. Like I need to share objective metrics to see if what we're doing is working and I'll take, I'll take a good amount of responsibility if we're not going in the right direction. Of course, there's so many hours in the day kids can and do mess up, you know, what, what you're getting out of that one hour stimulus, 
but I want them to know how invested I am in, in this process. And, and, and that's really the big piece, you know, that of tech that we're utilizing to try and like separate ourselves in terms of the service we're providing. Cause it's expensive stuff as we all know, and it's not easy to do and uh, it takes time to learn it. And you got to get, you know, hundreds and thousands of data points to even know what's going on and, and how to reflect upon and make adjustments. And so that was really the big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, the rest of you guys there, I know John Gardner loves the ultrasound head that they have down there at Charlotte, um, uses the ultrasound all the time. Any other like tech or any other advanced things like that, that you've gotten access to now that you absolutely love and wish you had when you're in the private sector? Um, you know, piggyback with, with Blair a little bit, like having the force plate data and again making it, it relevant for our players has been really cool because again, like these guys get tested on who knows how many different things, whether it's in the pre draft process or just on a relatively pretty frequent basis with us, right? Like they're constantly getting pulled this way and that way. I think so. Again, making sure that the testing you're doing is, is relevant for them um, is, is huge. And making sure, again, like I said earlier, that they've kind of got a place at the table discussing that stuff and have a good understanding of why you're making them jump on the sports plates. Other than that, uh, we just got an infrared blanket to put on the treatment table. So we'll, we'll see what that stuff looks like. I know that Miami was using it uh, this year. So we'll, We'll see what sort of benefits we get using it with some guys over the course of the offseason. I'll, I'll report that. Um, one piece, of, a couple of pieces of tech that I really enjoy using, and I and I try to use um, as efficient as possible is uh, a Humac, a Humac Norm, which basically is a Biodex, um, very similar isokinetic device. Um, research grade, so we know that what we're assessing is actually what we're assessing uh which is really important and then kind of like blair alluded to like the force plates have so much utility whether you're you're looking at you know isolated joint isometric strength or anything to you know dynamic double and single leg uh jumps um so definitely easy to get lost in some, some of the tech that's available to us but um certainly something we're, we're probably all spoiled, spoiled with, you know, being in the NBA. So. Yeah. I like the Proteus, you know, unit a lot. Yeah, it's a really cool tool. Um, three dimensional, you know, resistance training capabilities with it. Uh, it's really cool to be able to, you know, test upper body, you know, strength and, and, and power output is really hard for us in the past to be able to test, upper body strength and being able to do that unilaterally um, is pretty fun for the guys. And it's, it's a, it's a different way of um, having this arm and being able to move again, all different planes and being able to track it and show guys in real time, what left and right side looks like um, it's kind of gamified and like each rep, you know, you could see what your output looks like and being able to see, Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, you know, the guy in front of me hit this number, you know, let me, you know, see if I can, you know, outdo him. Uh, it's pretty cool. So again, I like that. Uh, once you get comfortable with that, it's a, uh, it's a quick way to to mix it up and do some metabolic conditioning instead of maybe, you know, using. Uh, I think everyone really kind of hit on the, 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 the big hitters here. I think for me, Derek, mentioned it's 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 can be a bit overwhelming it's kind of like i know when i stepped into the setting you know you're in the private sector and you're like oh i, I wish i had this i wish i had this and then you kind of walk in it's kind of like drinking out of a fire hose so for me it's 
you know, trying to still figure out best practices with, with this data, figure out best way to integrate that into systems, and then um, best way to use that information to to make decisions um, in a you know nuanced manner, rather than just relying on the, the numbers to give you answers. Um, figuring out how that it best fits into a cohesive process. Yeah, definitely. Because as we mentioned before, the numbers don't tell the full story. Um, you know, you still have to listen to the athlete. You still have to account for what they're telling you, account for other things that you see. It's really just a piece of the puzzle and painting that whole picture there. I could probably sit here and ask you guys questions all day long because you're all a wealth of knowledge and have so much experience. Do you guys have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything like that that you really want people to take away or anything we didn't hit in the topic of basketball today? I mean, I think the biggest takeaway that, that everybody kind of hit on in one way or another is the, the communication piece. And again, I think that's, that doesn't matter what setting you're in, right? No matter how many stakeholders there are, or how many millions of dollars are being thrown around in, in your industry. I think it's important to to have effective communication and, and methods and manners that, you know, your your patient or your athlete can absorb and, and run with. So again, I, th I think that's the, that's always one of my bigger takeaways, especially in this, you know, realm of, of performance. Yeah, I'll echo that. I think, you know, it's kind of cliche, but it's like the simple things really matter. I think we, we look at this world and kind of put things, certain things on a pedestal or, or kind of glamorize it. But at the end of the day, like it, being a really rock solid clinician, um, being a really rock solid coach, being able to, to relate to individuals, building relationships, having accountability, having communication, those are the things that um, I think really matter. And, and when the, you know, setting is dynamic and when it's tiring, all that stuff just becomes Th that much more important so i think doubling down on the the simple elements and your main principles is 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 really important this experience has has taught me that more than anything yeah i'll jump in and say, just jump on out as well like you know having having my short time in the nba and seeing what i thought some of these younger guys lacked coming in whether they were a one and done or two or three or whatever it just made me even more more strongly emphasize for my young young kids like getting the simple things done really really well having a, having a strong understanding of like, how can I get better sleep? You know, whether it's, it's not going to be good all the time, understanding basics and nutrition. I'm not a nutritionist, but I've got enough of a background to stay very general and not cross that line of trying to meal plan for, for kids, but helping them in that department. Cause all these are all percentage points in the right direction. And I, I really do believe like, like injuries are, are the, the body's natural way of saying stop. And we talked about it earlier. Basketball doesn't stop. It's it's you know it's a thing. People love thriving on that that the grindy um, you know Instagram posts and stuff. But your body's going to shut you down if you if it really needs you to shut down. So I think getting these simple principles of like good foundational training, understanding rest recovery, understanding you know when when you can look at your week and take breaks and, and maximize. Uh, your ability to recover and come back stronger. Like it's so critical. So I'm really harping on that even more, more um, you know, nowadays hoping to build a better athlete, better foundation for these younger kids. Yeah. I'll echo the, the importance of really hammering out the simple things and doing them really, really well. You know, it's certainly not easy for us as staff members in in a grueling NBA season, but it's even more challenging for these athletes. And if they don't have these efficient, foundational principles that we're providing for them and that they're emphasizing and finding ways to be efficient across all avenues of life and all avenues of care, whether that be, you know, rehab sector, medical sector, performance sector, what they're doing on court. Um, 
that becomes really, really challenging with the grueling nature of, of what it takes to, to be a pro athlete and to, to work in this type of environment. So, you know, like these gentlemen all, all alluded to, you know, avoiding that complexity bias, if you will, and, and really doubling down on the foundational principles and the simple things that we all know got us here in the first place. Yeah. You know, I, I would just say, lastly, um, you know, there's, there's definitely multiple ways to go about, you know, doing this and, you know, each organization I'm sure has their own, um, you know, methods and, and, and nuances to how to get it done. And I think the most important thing you can do if you're, if you're new joining one of those teams is to um, be a sponge, you know, to start, you know, just kind of get, kind of really submerge yourself into, Hey, like, why is it that they do what they do, even though you're obviously going to come in with some, some preconceived um, ideas or thoughts, you know, ideologies of how things should work. Just really just be a sponge and allow yourself to understand why this group, you know, works the way they work. Um, and then I would say, you know, and this is something for a group that's been together for a long time, like our group is to continue to, to bring in, uh, you know, new, you know, new, uh, new coaches, you know, that, that, that come in with different perspectives and even though, you know, we have our way of doing things and we're maybe comfortable, we got to make sure that we also listen to you, you know, like what, what you see coming in fresh set of eyes, you know, you don't have relationships with some of these players, some of these coaches, maybe some things that we felt in the past because we've gotten pushback from, you know, you say, well, hey, well, how come you guys, you know, don't do it this way or, or, or what about this what player care with this player? It's like, well, you know what I mean? Honestly, you know, it's been a couple of years since we've tried that and um, maybe we should try that again. You know, you know, you, you're right. So I think looking at it like that, you know, when you're young coming in or just being moved to a new situation, keep an open mind as to why. And then again, if you've been doing it for a while, it's your same group, you know, just make sure that you don't close doors on opportunities to, to continue to learn and grow um, from others. Yeah, I love that takeaway. And that's something that I've definitely picked up from you from our past conversations that conversations as well, Derek, is find a way to use everything that happens to you and every opportunity as a way to grow, a way to improve yourself, but ultimately a way to improve those around you and give back to the community uh, that you're surrounded by, whether that be a basketball community, a strength coach community, or what have you. That's awesome. So uh, I, I love those points. And I really love all of the knowledge and insight that you guys have shared with our audience today. So I really appreciate your time and everything. Um, for those of you on Instagram, would you mind kind of dropping your handles there so people can find you and follow you and check out what you guys are doing? Sure. I'm at uh, a anarena3 underscore DPT. Oh, God. What is my handle? Uh, I'm at <laughs> I'm not super, super active on, on social, but uh, at D Nillison, um, IG and, and Twitter as well. You're not a TikTok guy? <laughs> I have not succumbed to TikTok yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm healthy baller underscore OG and uh, hoping to get back in the mix, but it's social media is uh, a different animal for me. So I'm trying. <laughs> You're still the MySpace generation, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I, do. I remember it like it was yesterday. I really do. I hate to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much. I really appreciate your time and insights and everything that you've shared with us today. This has been great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, 
and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.